8.10, I'm stuck. What do I do? I know I've been there many times in my life thinking you get stuck in this routine. You get stuck in this pattern. And we pray for certain things like, God, give me a raise so I can get out of this stuck place. God, give me a new job so I can get out of the stuck place. God, give me some clarity because I'm tired of being stuck. And we keep asking, what do I do? What do I do? I'm, I'm stuck, God. What do I do? Well, last week, after basically imploding, Israel goes back into a state of oppression because Gideon is now gone. Y'all hear that? Oh, the, can, can, can one of y'all take, thank you, Emily. Sorry. Oh, well, <laughs> sorry. Israel goes back into oppression because Gideon's gone. We saw that for the past three weeks or so that Gideon was leading. He was the next judge of Israel. And his son Abimelech exalted himself above God and took everything in his own hands. In fact, he even named himself king, even though it wasn't time for anyone to be named king. And because he did that, Abimelech died in pride. Um, and the people of Shechem with him, which he led, most of them were killed and punished. They ended up fighting each other because no one was following God. They were following themselves. And now, because of that, Israel is once again in this place of oppression. And it's very interesting in this series, it's almost like every week it's what's going on in America. You know, and it kind of gives me some clarity. Okay, this is what God wanted me to preach on, how the people of God keep going into this oppressive state and wonder why. And I think it's because the church is full of a bunch of people who shout God but don't know him. And the heart of this house is to be a people who not just know his name, but know him personally, know him intimately, so that if we get stuck, we do know what to do. And it might not be such a bad thing, but if it is, we know what the, what the cost is, and we embrace the cost because our God is good no matter what the circumstance. And even as a people who depend on God, no matter what happens in this country, whether it be a president who, who represents God or a president who represents everything but God, God is still bigger, and we can just lean into him, worship him, and no matter what a man says, our, the, the kingdom of God outweighs any democratic vote. Amen? And I want you to rest assured, no matter what happens, let's glorify God. I believe the church is about to go into a, a very pressing season where we're going to find out who has faith and who be scared. who really believes that God is greater or who lets a man in a democracy that's not even the government of the kingdom of heaven rule us. I don't care if the law says you can do this or do that. I believe we can be so bright as the light of God that people are not going to want to do anything that the law allows. They're going to fall up under the grace and law that is Jesus Christ that we will start making decisions out of a relationship versus out of I can because the law allows me to. So I'm going to say all that to say this. I ain't worried. And I don't think any of us should be worried. I don't care if Trump gets back in or Biden gets back in. I have peace because my peace has not come from where the government's going. My peace comes from above. Amen? Amen. Well, Israel is back into oppression. And by this time, you would think they've had enough. 
that keep on making the wrong decision and get back into uh, being oppressed by the enemy. And uh, sometimes they love it, sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's uh, 25, 30, 40 years of oppression. Sometimes it's only seven years of oppression. Well, in Judges chapter 10, starting in verse 1, this is where we find them. After Abimelech died, Tola, son of Pua, son of Dodo, you don't want those names as parents, Dodo and Pua, <laughs> was the next person to rescue Israel. He was from the tribe of Issachar, but lived in the town of Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. He judged Israel for 23 years. When he died, he was buried in Shamir. After Tola died, Jair from Gilead judged Israel for 22 years. His 30 sons, that's a lot of churn. His 30 sons rode around on 30 donkeys and they owned 30 towns in the land of Gilead, which are still called the towns of Jair. When Jair died, he was buried in Kaman. Now remember, the word judge here does not mean the, the westernized American form of judge and the idea of hitting a gavel and sending someone to jail or freeing someone. The idea of judge here is someone who was called to redeem the people and put them back in right standing with God so that they can act on behalf of God. That's why Jesus is our righteous judge because he positioned us back in line with the Father. Therefore, we can represent the Father and we can walk on this earth as it is in heaven and whenever we speak, we are speaking on behalf of God. And I dare even say when we're in line with him, we are speaking the very words of God. And therefore, when we speak the words of God and walk in line with God, our households start to look like heaven and our friendships start to look like heaven. Our pocketbooks and wallets start to look like heaven. What we own starts to look like heaven because you start to manage it on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Well, we don't know much about the judges of Tola and Jair, just that Tola reigned for 23 years and Jair served for 22 years. They served as the judge of Israel. God used them to bring Israel back into rightful place, back into rightful position. After Gideon and all his sons kind of messed that up toward the end because they got a little full of themselves. Just like Gideon, Jair had quite a few wives. We know that, and we can assume that because he had quite a few sons. He had 30 sons, and I, I don't think that we can assume that one woman bore all 30. That'd be a lot of work. That'd be a lot of pain, right? And back in the Bible days, they didn't count the daughters, so we know that there was probably a lot more than just 30 kids. So he, was, uh, he had quite a few women. And not only was he married to quite a few women and had all these kids, but it says they rode on 30 donkeys. That, that was like the, the, the Jaguar. That was like the Lamborghini of the day. It wasn't like the cheap stuff. It wasn't like you were driving a Honda, right? How many of you drive a Honda? I, I, it's okay. Hondas are good. I mean, it's all right. We'll pray for you. But no, I, I, drove, I drove two Hondas in my life, total both of them. But anyways... They were riding the, 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 the nice stuff. They were riding the donkeys, and they, they had all, these, all this land in Gilead. So they were obviously um, being blessed with the fact that they were kind of judging and, and ruling. And, of course, as this term of judging came to an end, the people did evil again, just like every time in Judges. It's funny, I've talked to some of you sometimes and say, how did the message go? And they say, well, we thought it was going to get boring because we know they're all just going to fall into oppression again. But there's always something to bring out. Well, they fall into oppression again. They did evil again. 
Because when you start to exalt yourself above God, you will fail. And oftentimes, throughout the book of Judges, and especially in this one, we see that God does a good thing. They start to exalt themselves, and nothing can come from exalting yourselves other than a fall. In Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, it says, Jesus told this story to someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Y'all ever known people like that called religious? They all about how saved they are? Well, I grew up in church. Well, that explains a lot. <laughs> right? Ooh. <laughs> you got these people who, they, they, they had their church card. I go every Sunday and I go every Wednesday and, and I pray, you know, before breakfast, even though it's a rehearsed prayer that's empty, that don't mean nothing. Unless you're kids, you're just teaching them. But You know, they do all the religious stuff. They get in the routine. They're present. Well, this Jesus told this story to someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness, and they scorned everyone. Look at this, verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. In other words, one was a church member. And the other one was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, in other words, he says, I fast, I pray, I tithe, I do all the stuff. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you this, the sinner, not the church member, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and to those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we get in this trap of I do this and I do that. I got all my law right. I tithe. I fast. I pray. I go to church. I go to church every time the doors are open. I've checked all the boxes. But he is more concerned, and we become more concerned about the worship of our check boxes than the actual worship of our God. Like we'll go to church and we'll read the Bible and we'll say the prayers three times a day and then we wonder why nothing is breaking through. Because it's really easy to go through the rhetoric. It's really easy to go through the, okay, I got this down, got that, got, got that, got that. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But when the, what happens to us sometimes is we get so caught up in worshiping the system that we actually don't come humbly before our God and say, here I am, here's where I've messed up. Or simply, God, show me the desires of your heart so I can make them the desires of mine. We get so wrapped up in let me check the boxes to get something from God rather than just saying, God, here I am. I don't deserve you. I, 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 I'm not worthy of you. That's what this uh, tax collector did. He came before God. He knew tax collectors were famous for cheating, for stealing, for, getting, for, for raising taxes on people that didn't have the taxes raised. And when he came before God, he, he was just like, I'm not even worthy to look at you. And when the sinner in this parable recognized the greatness of God, he humbles himself before God by keeping himself in this posture of I'm not worthy. 
And out of that humility, it says he was justified before God, not the proud church member. And a lot of us get too easily caught up. And look what I do. Look what I have. Look how far I've come. And the Bible says we're transformed by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. But some people get so caught up in their testimony of yesterday that they're not working on their testimony of today. Right? Well, you don't know how far I've come. Well, I'd like to see how far you go. (laughs) We get so caught up in look at what God has already done that we don't press into what could God do more. Like there's still more to happen in my life. There's still more to do. But we exalt ourselves, right? And we make it seem good. But we're not under the surrender of God. What more would you have from me? We're not in this place of, I'm not even worthy to carry this burden, so show me what do I need to let go of? What do I need to embrace? God, show me how do I be more like you because I know I don't deserve it in the first place. We say, wow, I've gotten all this stuff and look how far I've come and I've gotten out of debt and and I've tied to the church and God's growing me in my gift and, and this and this and this and this and not once do you say, thank you, God, because you're the one that let it happen. I was talking to a guy uh, a few years ago, he said, well, why should I praise God for building my business when I'm the one that's got the talent that built the business? And I'm like, well, how the heck did you think you got the talent? God placed something in you just like anyone else, and he says, now you manage what I placed in you, and when you manage it, you're either going to grow fruit or I'm still going to be trying to produce it. And in, when you grow fruit, when you, when you excel, when you move forward, you don't give credit to yourself. You say, God did that. For some reason, he put something in me that allowed me to go after this thing. And it's called life. And I want to live life, and I want to live it in the abundance of God, not in the abundance of myself. And you get, what happens is when you get more obsessed with you than God, you get in a place called stuck. And you find that you can't move forward, so then you start dealing with stuck on your own accord because you blame God for the stuck. Isn't it amazing how we don't give praise for God to stuff, but we'll give him the praise for the blame? God, why didn't you bless me? God's like, I've already poured out every blessing I need on you. You just need to access it. Well, how do I access it? Fall in love with me and seek me. Follow my lead. Stop following your own. Stop exalting yourself above me. Give me worship. It's it's not a, a, a hard recipe. Give him glory in all you do. And you'll be moved from glory to glory. You'll be moved from one season to the next. You'll be moving from one place in your life to the next place. And sometimes it takes a long time. And in that taking a long time, do do you exalt your need for rest or do you surrender to his need for service? Is this good? Okay. God says, you people will be humbled. And in Luke 18, when he says the, the prideful, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is New Testament. 
And, and I think we get in this mixed up thing of, well, that was just for the Old Testament. And remember like, like this week in Judges, how the people got all about themselves and they were handed over to the enemy, we're going to find out. Well, this is God talking about the same thing in the New Testament. And this may be too bold to say it, but I'm going to because we relentless. But maybe the reason the government's being handed over to an ungodly man isn't necessarily because God wanted him as a leader, but because God said, fine, you're going to worship your own gods? Do it. I like you. What if we're reaping what we're sowing? Because America worships every other god. What's the biggest god in America? America. You know the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag, but if I said, give me the Father's Prayer, uh, let me look it up. Let, let, let's, let's be real. You know, we, we know all the America stuff. We know all the, the tax rules. We know all the laws. But when you start talking about the laws of God, oh, no, God don't hold me to it. That doesn't give you an excuse not to know it because when you're growing in relationship with God, you'll find yourself falling into a lifestyle of living in such a way where it aligns with law. Not that law saves you, but it is a fruit of relationship. You people will be humbled. And Judges 10 verse 6, it says again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They served the images of Baal and Ashtoreth and the gods of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammon, and Philistia. They abandoned the Lord and they no longer served him at all. This time when they did evil in God's sight, it wasn't just a God called Baal like the past ten chapters of Judges. It was seven gods. Seven. You would have thought these people would have learned their lesson. Because first it was all about Baal. He was the weather god. Why did they worship the weather god? They wanted good crops. They wanted a good return on their investment, right? They wanted to make money. We all got those gods. The business god, right? The, the Ashtoreth was the fertility god. Love, romance. Let's produce. Let's get our population more than the rest, right? God provided for them all they didn't earn, and then in the effort to earn more, they didn't consult God, they leaned on themselves. But isn't that what we do? Why, why do we get depressed? Why do we get anxious? Because you're not truly depending on him. You're looking within and saying, how can I do this? And God said, I'm the one that can make what you do fruitful. So you can depend on yourselves and figure out how to do this all on your own accord, or you can humble yourselves and just say, God, how do I? What do I? What language do I say? And then when God tells you to serve people who you hate, you'll be surprised at the business that comes your way that you were trying to get it on your own accord. You'll be surprised when you start to honor bosses who you can't stand, that talk bad to you. You'll be surprised the favor that comes on your life. And when you were trying to get a raise by showing how good you were, you actually get a raise by serving how bad they are. Right? Church. Everyone tries to start a church by showing people how bad the pastor's doing. There's more church splits than church plants in America. 
Everyone, look what I can do, look what I can do. And it comes from a place of people not empowering people. I am so secure in what God has called me to do as the apostolic leader of this house. I pray for a day where I, don't know, I no longer have a job. What do you mean by that? I want to raise up teachers. I want to raise up preachers. I want to raise up apostles. I want to raise up prophets. I want to raise up people that can walk in the interpretation of tongues. I want to raise up people who can prophesy, who have a mantle of the prophet. I want to raise up people who know how to serve, who know how to have mercy, who know how to forgive, who know how to bless, who know, who know, who know, who know, where we're going to be so in line with what God wants that I don't have anything else to teach. But we're going to go out to the world and show them what they're lacking. Right? Like, can you imagine a day where we don't need the sermon for us anymore? Is that so crazy to think? Because if I'm reading this correctly, when the apostles went out and served God, they didn't come together and say, hey, would you preach to us? They came together and Peter was like, hey, we need to get filled up. And they just pressed into worship and they got filled up. And then there was like one mandate, let's go after the city. It wasn't a sermon, it was just, hey, People of God, remember who you are. Remember you're secure. Remember, 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 let's go. Amen. It was a cause to remember, not let me teach you the basics. Maybe I'm just thinking too far out there. I mean, I know I'm not, but. They were serving these gods. They were serving the good weather god for crops and wealth. They were serving the, 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 the romance god for more and more and more. And. At one time, they learned to depend on God, but now, in a place of more than enough, they're turning to themselves, they're turning into what they've created, and if that wasn't enough, it names five other gods. And we don't even really know much about the gods, but what we do know is this. The reason they are worshiping the five other gods is because they were gods of the neighboring cultures. You know why they are worshiping the gods of the neighboring cultures? Because they didn't depend on God to get favor with the cultures. They compromise their worship to get favor with the culture on their own accord. What has happened to the church? Let's be culturally relevant. We get in this vein of let's bend a little bit to make this, everyone feel welcome and we're going to make you so welcome that you never leave convicted. You're just going to leave affirmed. And instead of seeking God to bring people into the house, to, to walk in, uh, to see people come alive in Christ, we start depending on how can we look a little more like the culture of their God, and we don't call it God, we just call it relevance. Right? They started worshiping conform to a culture to gain favor with the culture rather than worshiping Yahweh to transform the culture. And the people of God so often fall in a place of worshiping what the world worships and exalting what the world says is good. And a lot of the problem with the world today is not so much that they don't believe in a God, is that they'll believe in anything that exalts itself as God, and so they become blind to the one true God. And we do it in church and we do it in the world. We worship the God of church models, the God of denominations. When God says do something but it doesn't line up with your bylaws, you're... <laughs> I 
I'm getting smiles from some of the guests, so if I lose everyone else, y'all just stick with me. <laughs> we worship political parties. I've heard it in this house, and I've said it myself. Well, how can you be a Christian if you're voting for Biden? Right? Ooh, ooh. Right? We worship our opinion. We worship the right of oneself. We even worship the freedom of choice instead of the posture of surrender. And then we start to build our own gods. We find ourselves in bondage. We find ourselves in debt. We find ourselves alone. We find ourselves totally blind and we find ourselves stuck. We get stuck in this place and we don't know how to get out. And then we fall into worshiping what we actually believe God is okay with. And then we fall out of love with him, out of relationship with him. And then we start praising our own things and the things we have created. And before you know it, you're out of sync with God even though you think you are. And I believe that's where most of America is today. Believing they actually worship God but not knowing who the heck he is. There's a passage in Ephesians and it's called Living by the Spirit's Power. Y'all want to see what it says? Look at this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every, of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine. That's going to ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at, look at what it says. In order to live by the Spirit's power, number one, make the most out of every opportunity. What are you making the most of? Allowing the Holy Spirit to move, not make every opportunity work for you. And where we get in the trap of is we get in the opportunity, and the first thing our mind goes to is, how does this work for me? But if I'm watching the Apostle Paul's life, most of his decisions that God said do didn't exactly work out for his good. God said do this, and he was whipped. God says, do this, and he was stoned. God says, do this, and he went to jail. God says, stay in jail. And it got worse. Then God says, go on a boat. And it wrecked. Then, says, then God was like, help him build the fire. And then they, they tried to blame him for everything burning up, and they, they, they about threw him in the fire. He got almost bit by a snake. They thought he was a demon. The same one that just delivered them. Right? Don't make the most out of every opportunity for you. Make the most out of every opportunity to allow the spirit to move. If parents would raise their kids like that, if pastors would pastor their churches like that, if you would go to work like that, and then it says, don't act thoughtlessly. Think about what does God want me to do? And there's so many times we just make decisions thoughtlessly. This is just what I want to do. This is what I've always done. Think about it. That's what it means when it says take every thought captive. I was talking Wednesday night. It's not just the bad thoughts you take captive. 
You, you take what, what thought? Every. Because sometimes the good things ain't exactly the God things. Because a lot of times our good lines up with our flesh and we make reason as to why it's good. Or maybe it's something that's not sin, but it's simply not the direction God wants you to go in. Right? If you have two jobs and both of them pay the exact same and neither of them is necessarily sinful, you've got to think, what does God want? Not what do I want? And on the vice versa, if God's giving you plan, or if you've got two directions, plan A, plan B, just because plan A is better than plan B don't mean God don't want you to go to plan B because he sees what's at the end of that plan when you don't. Just like the church, remember? It was a bad plan to come to this little space but look what happened. We got a full house tonight almost, and then we got another service tomorrow. Right? And the unity in here. Can I, can I pick on y'all for a minute? I was talking to Renee and Brian right here this week, and uh, they've been looking for a place where they just feel welcome. And Renee said when they came in, within the first five minutes, they just felt like they were home. But you know what? We, yeah, we can praise God for that. But you know what? We didn't have that two years ago. People wouldn't say because they didn't feel like a family. They didn't feel connected. So we made some plans in line with God's plans and took away all the stuff and went into this little place and look what happened. Put everything before God. And the third thing it says is don't, do not be under the direction of anything other than God. And if something else is leading you, like wine, like an obsession, like your needs, shift what fills you up. Because if you're making a decision to fill yourself up and not making a decision to praise God, you'll never get filled. Because when we make a shift to exalt God, he says, I will pour out so much blessing that your cup would overflow. Not just fill up to the brim, but overflow. You would have so much that you don't know how to contain it. And overflow means you'll be able to let it flow into other cups. Can you imagine humbling yourself before God so much that he gives you so much blessing that the way your family gets saved is that they say, how did you do that? And instead of giving them a good business plan or instead of giving them a good look what I did, you can simply say, I worshiped in everything I did. People be like, yeah, I want that, God. And lastly, give thanks to God for everything. No other thing should get glory. Just give him thanks for everything. We try to make living the spirit-filled life so much harder. Well, I've got to learn how to operate in my gifts. No, they're gifts because you, you, were never, you never had the ability to operate in them. So he said, here's a gift for you. Something that you do not earn. And then when you start walking in the gift, you learn how to manage the gift correctly. And it shows us in Scripture how to do that. And it says, seek the most needed gifts, not for you, but for everyone else. But what has the charismatic church done? Look what gift I have. I speak in tongues, so I'm more holy. Right? I'm full of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, you full of something. I don't know. <laughs> right? Y'all, it's, I'm, I'm just... I'm raw. But that's what we do. We, we exalt the gifts, right? When God says, 
and through Apostle Paul, the greatest gift is love. And we worship the gift so much that we operate it in a condemning way that we don't know how to just love people. If I remember correctly, like, I didn't see a lot of the gifts we see done through Jesus. I mean, I saw healing, but I don't remember a lot of the other stuff because he was just walking in such union that what needed to be done in the moment was done by a word. He didn't exalt himself. It was, Father, Jesus, you healed that man. We worship you. No, no, no. Worship my Father, even though he knew that he was one with the Father. Right? The Israelites have shifted their praise to everything else other than God. So in Judges chapter uh, 10, verse 7, it says, The Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites. This is when they, they fall into oppression. Who began to oppress them that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites east of the Jordan River in the land of Amorite, that is Gilead. The Ammonites also crossed to the west side of the Jordan and attacked Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. The Israelites were in great distress. God says, you want to serve other gods? Go for it. And now they were serving false gods, thinking that service would get them out of oppression, but now they're stuck in a stronghold. They got stuck in a stronghold because every time God tried to reveal himself, we don't need you. I got this. I, I make enough money. I'll figure it out, God. I, I, don't, I don't need the tithing. I don't need the giving. God, I, I'm, I'm talented. I don't need to seek you on will. I know what to do. I know what my gifts are. Could it be that God's like, but I've got something else right here, and you haven't seen it because you haven't sought me? For years and years and years, I served in music ministry and youth ministry. And the whole time, most of the time, I got told, yeah, you're never going to be a senior pastor. That's not your gifting. How so bad I want to get a card and mail it to them. <laughs> right? But I'm not going to do that because I want to be humble before God. <laughs> we'll all sign it. Right? Like, but, but sometimes we, we, we buy into that and we limit what God can do by what we, what we can do. And I really believe, and I want to put this out so y'all can like come into agreement. I'm praying a day where, I, and I've been praying for it for a long time. I'm praying that I won't be on that stage forever. Why? Because I want to equip the ones that that are supposed to be up there. When I when we, when I met Tyler back there, he couldn't play piano worth crap. <laughs> oh, he said crap. Yeah, it's common vernacular around here. But now. He's a great piano player. He, he, went and, he went off to Germany for almost a year, and he led a worship team over there, and he was the best musician. And he came back, and he brought us a drummer on Sundays. Isn't that cool? And, but and, but, but we, don't, we don't like to believe that there's more in us. So we exalt ourselves above what God could possibly do, right? We don't, we don't want to go through the process of learning, of surrender, of refining, Oftentimes we get down, we give worship to anything in order to get you up. Because you try to figure it out, you try to manage it, you try to strategize an exit strategy from your stuck place. We get in the stuck place of, of debt, of depression, of anxiety. 
We get in the stuck place of not getting anything that's going to put us forward. And then instead of the, the easy thing of, God, what would you have me do? We, we keep trying to search, right? Isaiah 54, 17, in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, we read that scripture. I want you to keep it up there a minute, Evan. We love to, oh, yeah, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We will silence the voice of the enemy. You know, but, but we forget those benefits are not by people who just proclaim his name and come to church. Those benefits are for the servants of the Lord. And we want to get the benefits without having to pay a price. Right? That's what America's all about. How can I get a benefit without having to do a thing? And God's like, I will make sure that no weapon formed against you will prosper. I will silence every voice raised up and accuse you if you're my servant. Not if you say you love me. Because many will say they love me, but I'll say to them, I never Knew you. Should get a lot of people wanting to serve this week. <laughs> if we, how do we get out of a stuck place? Start to serve them in your home. Dads, if, if your family's in a stuck place, go home and lead a prayer that you suck at. I don't know how to pray. I don't care. Go home and lead your family in the worst prayer you've ever heard. <laughs> Stumble through it. Take 20 minutes to say, I love God. Whatever you need to do. Start serving him. Well, how do I serve him? Make him great. How do I make him great? Show your kids that you're more in love with your God than yourself. Show your wife that you're more in love with God than, than, you're, than, than, than anything else. Show your husband that. Show your family that. Thanksgiving's coming up. Be humble to the fact that you might have to be around some people that you really don't want to eat with. <laughs> but God wants you there because that's the only time they're ever going to get a glimpse of light. And they don't need to see the stink look on your face. They don't need to hear the jabs out of, well, I ain't seen you in five years. Why you? They, no, 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 no. They need to see a light that they cannot explain. They need to see love from you that that's not merited. Don't exalt yourself above the, the, the need to say, I'm here to serve the Lord. How? My family's going to see God today. Verse 10 in Judges chapter 10, well, finally, they cried out to the Lord for help. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Watch this, though. <laughs> God's about to get gangster. Look at this. <laughs> Finally, they cry out to the Lord for help, saying, We've sinned against you because we have abandoned you as our God and served the images of the Baal. The Lord replies, Did I not rescue you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, and the Philistines, the Sidonites, and the Malachites, and the Moanites? When they oppress you, you cry out to me for help, and I rescued you. Yet you've abandoned me and served other gods, so I'm not going to rescue you anymore. Oh, shoot. Go and cry out to the gods you've chosen. Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. Look at God. Sarcasm 101. I don't get you out this time. You go, go ask your gods. 
Go ask your drink. Go ask your spending habits. They always make you happy even though you get in debt. Go ask your thing, right? Well, dang God, I mean, what happened to the whole, like, I'll never leave you, forsake you, or abandon you? You just straight up, like, left them. Well, we have to come before God with the right seeking for him not to forsake. Because if you notice, their cry seems fine, but there's no voice of repentance in their cry. They say, we've sinned, but they never say, forgive us. And we love to come to God with, God, help me. Get me out of this bind. Get me out of this place. Get me out of this stuck place. And God's waiting for one word. Forgive me. Lord, I have put this before you. Forgive me. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And when many of us get stuck, we're so quick to say, God, help. But the key to unstuck is, Lord, forgive me for depending on anything but you. There's a passage in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. It says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. You know what Jesus was doing there? <laughs> he, was like, he was like, yeah, let's, let's see how much you want to follow me. He was putting the filter on the bull. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. That seems viable. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. You, your, your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Sometimes you're stuck places. You can't stop looking back, and it's preventing you from walking forward. Hey, I got something for you. Yeah, but do you remember? Hey, I got something for you, child. Yeah, but God, I want to serve you so much. But I just, let me, do you remember what happened two months ago or two years ago or 20 years ago? God says, I love you. I want to do great things. Yeah, but you remember when you let me down that one time? Right? <laughs> we, we keep going back to what happened before. And God's like, can you get more obsessed with where I want to take you? Well, in verse 15, the Israelites pleaded with the Lord and said, we've sinned. Punish us as you see fit. Only rescue us today from our enemies. And then the Israelites put aside their foreign gods and served the Lord. And he was grieved by their misery. He was grieved by their misery. God, do what you need to do because we've sinned. And they'll say, they said, God, we'll serve you 
even if there is no response in sight. They say, God, we don't expect you to do anything but just rescue us from this oppression. Even if we don't see the immediate fruit of serving, God, just get us out of here. Forgive us. We'll serve you and we'll, and we'll be, and, and, and be punished by you. Just rescue us. They're saying the worst in serving God is better than the best of serving idols. They said, God, we'll serve you even if we never see anything, any more increase in our lives. Just please get this oppression off of us. Get this depression. Get this anxiety. Get us out of the stuck place. We would rather be stuck in no more but having peace than still trying to get more on our own accord. God, would you just please rescue us? And it says after they made that cry, after they repented, after they said, God, forgive us, it said God was grieved by their misery. He looked upon the people with compassion, and because it was now good for them to be rescued, God, in the next chapter, raises up a judge to redeem them. Well, why was it good now? Why did God say, okay, I, I, I got them now? Because they wouldn't just be rescued from pain, they would be redeemed from it into their rightful identity. Because they were willing to say, we've exhausted ourselves. Forgive us. You see, they understood what they had done. And a lot of times in stuck places, we love to complain about the circumstance but never take ownership for it. I'm stuck, what do I do? How do I get out? How do I get free? How do I get delivered? How do I walk out of this stuck place? I'm tired of being here. Repent. And God says, do you do that? I'll make all your paths straight. I'll work all things for your good. I'll forgive you. I will show you things that you only dreamed of. And I'll give you dreams that you never thought you could dream. What is the point of a rescue if you're going to jump right back into a place of torment? He says, I'm not going to get you out unless you're really ready to move on. You ever notice that, like, you can come up to an altar call and ask forgiveness, like, God, I sinned about 50 times and never get out of anything? God, God why aren't you doing it? Because you have not repented. You've just told him what you did. God, I, I'm sorry. Well, sorry is not repentance. Repentance is, Lord, I have been walking in this. I know it's been by my decision. And I, I, want, I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, and I'm going to walk in a different direction from here on out. And even if that direction does not seem fruitful in the beginning, even if that direction seems like a pause, I'm okay with being there. I'm just tired of this oppression. I'm tired of the stuck. I want to be free. I want to walk in freedom. I want to walk in a love that is greater than any circumstance I could be in. I believe that's why Paul was so okay with prison. Because he was okay with being in that kind of a stuck, but with no oppression on his back. He was just in love with God and knew that God was in love with him. Can we be that kind of people? Like, if this house never grows at all, are we, are we okay with just 
this house growing in him. And when we get that mindset, God says, well, I'm going I'm to bless it. I'm going to produce fruit out of it. But that cannot be the goal. Well, I'm going to come up to the altar call tonight because I want to I, I, I I make more money. No, 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 that should not be your goal. The goal is I want pure and genuine relationship with my father again. And if I can get out of my stuck place and all this oppression and all this grief and all this anxiety and I can just be at peace in God, you know what that means? Your thought life goes from I'm stuck to I'm free and then you're open to what God wants to do in the future rather than going back to the place that you're sick and tired of. The last two verses of Judges chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. At that time, the armies of Ammon had gathered for war, were camped in Gilead, and the people of Israel assembled and camped in Mizpah. The leaders of Gilead said to each other, whoever attacks the Ammonites first will become ruler over all the people of Gilead. Israel gathers together in response to the enemy, and the leaders ask one question. Who's going to lead us? Because God's pattern to do a work in his people is always finding someone to lead under his authority. Always trying to find someone to lead, a man to lead. He did through Jesus. And now Jesus has commissioned us to go and do the same. The key to getting unstuck is to lead like Jesus and lead under his authority and nothing else. God wants us to be renewed, to be the light of him in the earth, to be the salt that changes the earth's flavor. And all he's looking for are some leaders. And you know what's sad among the church? We spend so much time praying for the right president instead of saying, God, show me what I'm supposed to be. Show me how I can lead best in my home, in my workplace, in my church. Show me how I can be a, a, the, the best son, the best father, the best brother, the best sister, the best wife, the best mother. But don't define best off of a worldly standard of best. Define best off, God, how would you want them to see you in me? We get in that posture of God just consume me and lead me, we'll get unstuck. I've seen about a dozen Facebook posts today of we've got the wrong leader and it's the end times. God has got so much more to do. And I'm okay with being stuck in America for the next four years if at the end of it I'm more solid, I'm a more solid man in my faith because I'm no longer depending on the government. I'm depending on God. That, that's where we need to be. All my problems are from the government. No, it, your problem is you. Let's be a people who just get lost in the identity of him and nothing else. So let's all stand, and I want to, I just want to open this altar up for prayer for just really one thing. And I don't want to limit the definition of that one thing, but the one thing is simply this. If you're in a place where you've been stuck, and you want to just come here before God and say, God, I repent of what I've been doing, and I want to get unstuck, I just encourage you to come up to this altar and get on your knees, stand up here, whatever you want to do, and just say, God, here I am. God, here I am. 
And we're not going to turn the lights down because this is a celebration time when, when you come up here to say, God, I want to get unstuck. So if that's you, just come up here right now. And everyone else, if you don't want to come up here, just stretch your hands out to anyone up here and just start praying over them. 